Good Bone Health makes active aging possible. Join us for inspiring conversations from diverse perspectives in osteoporosis, from patients, healthcare providers, caregivers, policymakers, researchers, advocates, and innovators. Protect your ability to live your best life. The information and opinions expressed in Bone Talk are not intended to replace the services of trained and qualified health professionals or to be a substitute for medical advice of physicians. You may review the National Osteoporosis Foundation's full medical disclaimer at nof.org. Hi, everyone. I'm Claire Gill, CEO of the National Osteoporosis Foundation. Welcome to another episode of Bone Talk. I'm excited to welcome my guest today, Dr. Heather Johnson. Dr. Johnson is an actively practicing gynecologist in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area and recently retired as an obstetrician after delivering more than 3,500 babies over the course of her 40 years career. She received her MD at Yale University of Medicine and completed her residency training in obstetrics and gynecology at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. Dr. Johnson is board certified in obstetrics and gynecology as well as a fellow of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. She also served in the U.S. Army for eight years prior to going into private practice in 1987. She's the author of two books, What They Don't Tell You About Having a Baby and What They Don't Tell You About Menopause. For more information about Dr. Johnson and to read some of her pearls of wisdom, you can visit her website at drheatherjohnson.com. Dr. Johnson, welcome to Bone Talk. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So let's get into this discussion about menopause and bone health. We know that our bodies go through many changes before and during menopause, and there's a lot of misinformation. Uh, What have you found to be some of the common misconceptions women have about menopause? Well, especially for the purposes of this audience, uh, one of the misconceptions is that you simply stop having periods, have hot flashes. Those are the things that we most associate with menopause, but other things happen to your health, uh, like your bones, um, your cholesterol, um, risk for heart disease that start to increase once your estrogen levels decrease. So menopause is not just, even though it's a lot, hot flashes and night sweats. The other thing that I've seen more of is we are all living longer and are healthier longer. And so the concept that menopause is something for old people kind of hits us in the face when we get to be 50 and don't consider ourselves old. And so it comes as a surprise to a lot of people and their preparation or acceptance of it is probably not what it should be. Yeah, I saw some uh, an article recently, you probably saw it in the New York Times as well, where they were talking about the disservice that we do to women not propping us well enough about menopause, that we spend so much time having the talk about puberty, right? And preparing adolescents to go through that stage of life. And then again, we do it again for perinatal and and the the childbearing years. There's lots of discussions with clinicians during that time period of our lives. And then we sort of, as you said, we hit midlife and we know that menopause is coming, but no one talks about it. You know, it's very strange that that's the talk isn't prepared for menopause the way it is for other stages of our lives. So hopefully we can do a better job of that. Can you talk a little bit about why, how estrogen impacts bone health in both younger women and then as we enter menopause? Well, estrogen is our friend, um, especially in young women. It does um, help the bones. There are 
two processes. The bone is living and growing at all times. So it's building and breaking down, building and breaking down. And there's special cells called osteoblasts that break the bone down and osteoclasts that build them up. And the order in which this happens, the balance is for the positive when we have estrogen on board. As you start to run out of estrogen and after the menopause when there's very little, then the balance changes and you break down more bone than you build up. Some of that's age-related, but a lot of it has to do with estrogen. So any time in our lives when our estrogen levels are low, uh, we're at risk for losing bone. That can happen in young women who have, say, anorexia or are breastfeeding, their, their levels are low, or are on a medication called Depo-Provera for control of their periods and um, birth control, all of those mm. lead to lower levels of estrogen for extended periods of time and can affect the, the rate at which bone is broken down. Interesting. Right. We talk about that. And, and I, I had also a communication recently from one of our experts at Columbia University, and she was talking about and asking us to put on our website information about lactation-associated osteoporosis. I had heard that once or twice from a couple of patients, but you know we're so used to thinking that it's an old person's disease, osteoporosis. And then we realized, as you said, Depending on estrogen levels in a person, whether it be you know anorexia, as you said, or perhaps an early hysterectomy and ovaries removed that sent them into early menopause, bone loss really can happen at at various different times. Have you had that question in your practice about any kind of lactation-induced or pregnancy-associated bone issues? Yes, a lot, and. We still want to encourage people to breastfeed, hopefully for a year if you can, and you, but we need to address the fact that during that time, some changes are happening in our bones and we need to continue to make sure that the moms get calcium and vitamin D, are doing weight-bearing exercise and things that will support our bones during that time. Yeah, that's, it was fascinating to me that, again, it really, it, it's all across the lifespan when we really need to think about our bones and, you know, we, we don't spend enough time thinking about it. But it's great that there are experts like you and others out there to be able to help women through that at every stage of life. We talked a little bit about the fact that we're not for, for menopause the way we other, are at other times of life. And I think sometimes women might be uncomfortable then because it's not something that we are taught to do as we are during pregnancy, talk about the different things that are happening during pregnancy and stuff. So sometimes women might feel a little uncomfortable talking about menopausal symptoms. As you said, either they don't want to admit that they're old or they're not even aware that some of the things happening in their bodies are related to this the change of life. It's normal. What advice do you have for women about potentially starting that conversation with their, their clinician? And when should they maybe start that conversation? Well, I think what you've been saying is that this is not something about which women should be ashamed. Almost as if there's a, an admission that you've done something wrong if you've gotten to the point where you're concerned about that. And it's a normal phase of life, just as is puberty, as is breastfeeding, all of those things. So a lot of it is our attitude about that. 
hopefully more and more providers, internists and gynecologists are getting better versed on the subject and they will bring the subject up in your annual exams. But if they don't, do your reading before you go, list the questions and concerns you have and start to ask. And I would say really in your 40s, when you start doing that, you it, I liken it to a 401k. You don't wait until you're 65 to start putting money into it. Um, and you don't wait <laughs> point. until you're right. You don't wait until you're 50 to start doing things that will help your bones and increase your bone density so that you have more to lose once you're postmenopausal. Lifestyle changes that will affect your cholesterol to your benefit rather than waiting until the estrogen protection for heart disease goes away. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. And yeah, again, it's making sure that women know that and. As you said, at an earlier time, I mean, for, for many women, they're still talking about childbearing and in their 40s. And I remember you shared with me in a previous discussion that the plus the 35 plus woman was one of the largest makeups of your practice. So that's definitely changed, you know, over the last several decades. And women are thinking about childbearing in their early 40s. They're not thinking that immediately after that is going to be menopause, right? And that's an excellent point that you're making because many of my patients in their mid-40s are still in their annual exams talking about, well, I'm not sure if I want to have another baby yet, or maybe I'll do this and this before I try again. And they really see, since they're still having periods and there are all of these wonderful advances in assisted reproductive technology that they are fully fertile and are shocked, um, not only that they aren't fully fertile, but that two or three years later, they're beginning to miss their periods and have hot flashes and they're just not really prepared for it. Well, and I think like you said, I mean, I think wonderful advances um, have made that all possible and those are all terrific, but it's really wreaked havoc on trying to explain to women, you know, the, the various stages. And as we delay those stages, we need to think about both the, the pros and cons of those and how to talk to women about it. But I think you're absolutely right. I love that 401k descriptor <laughs> and, and analogy that, you know, again, you can't just wait until it's happening to say, oh, my God, I have to do something about this. You know, you should be kind of investigating and thinking about your bone, you know, again, putting putting money in your bone bank to kind of prepare for those days when you're going to you're going to be living off your savings. <laughs> just like yeah. we are in our, our far away day. So that's a great exactly. analogy. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So tell me a little bit about your your book. So, I mean, I, again, I love that you've done it at both stages of life, the big, you know, the reproductive years and then, then the menopausal years. But specifically for our audience, uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, what they don't tell you about menopause and what inspired you to write it. And then a little bit about what, what people can expect to find in it. Sure. It's a compilation of things I've learned over a number of years, most of it from my patients, which has uh, been very helpful. Uh, the, the same questions and the same surprises and the same concerns come up over and over again, and the misconceptions um, seem to be uh, the same for many people as well. I started talking about menopause and bone loss when I was in my 30s. That, that was when it first became at least okay to whisper menopause. The baby boomers have gotten older. It's okay not only to whisper it, but to say it a little bit louder, but there's still this embarrassment that you're 
old. Now, I did the talks, and then my patients, who were always a little bit older than me at one point, started going through menopause, and then I went through menopause with my friends, and these were just the you know compilation of the articles I've read, continuing medical education, and mostly how my patients presented to me and the most important concerns that they had. It's a small book that can be read in a couple of hours, but it really covers pretty much most of the subjects that come up in menopause so that you have some general idea of what you can expect over the next decade or two and then use that to jump forward if you need to. Yeah, I you were kind enough to share a copy of the book and, and I, I think that's one of the real pluses to it is that it's not this huge scientific read where you're, you know, drowning in data and medical speak. It's really practical, good information that, as you said, you can get through quickly and have a primer, right? This is, what, this is what's coming up. And for women who may not be at menopause yet, as you know, we've talked about, there's such confusion about what menopause is and the fact that we spend most time in what we think of, I think, as a society about menopause is really perimenopause, right? It's the, the, the time where we're having most of these changes and um, uh, leading up to the, the end of our periods. And women don't know that, you know, in your, again, that it's normal in your 40s to start experiencing missed periods. And we hear about hot flashes, but I think people have different interpretations of what that might be. And so you wonder, is this, is this what they're talking about? You know, that kind of thing. So I thought it was a fantastic book to be able to share with women that provides the, the basics of what they need to know, right? Like, you know, you said scientifically based and, you know, from clinical experience, what can you expect? And then how do you prepare for it? How do you have that conversation? So thank you for that. I think it'll be really good. And I imagine you've gotten good response from your, your patient population when you shared it. I have very much. Some have actually come to see me after reading my book. Um, I remember a portal message from one of my patients that said, I read your book, Dr. Johnson, but I'm still grumpy and fat. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so can yeah, we have a telemedicine is- and talk about what we, what I can do? <laughs> yeah, right. And I think that's so important, right? It's like, and it's finding that right that right uh, partner in, in this, in the, you know, in the clinical setting, again, someone that you feel comfortable with, that you're, you're willing to ask those questions of and, and do that. And I think the other confusion that people have too is, you know, when it comes to osteoporosis and bone loss, that you're seeing your gynecologist, you're comfortable with your gynecologist, your gynecologist can treat you for your osteoporosis. And I know that there's a, a great effort underway by many in the in the medical community to make sure that that gynecologists do know about osteoporosis and that they're willing to help their patients when and if they reach that point. Are you finding that among colleagues that again they're a little bit more, you know, are they referring to specialists or are they willing to kind of continue that process and, and keep women uh, in their practice but being able to treat their osteoporosis? You know, it's a mixture of both. In my practice we have a wide range of providers from right out of training to me. Um, And that's not a subject that young people come out 
of training knowing much about because most of the people they treat are young and pregnant. Uh, but as they mature in their practice, they are starting to pick up this information. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists is very aggressive about getting this information out to all of its members. And so for the majority of the issues, I mean, it's usually the gynecologist who brings up the fact it's time for your DEXA scan, who then talks to them about exercise and calcium and vitamin D um, if the levels are low and who gets them started on the oral medication. So a lot of internists do this, but I would say as many, if not more, gynecologists do that because the patients see them more frequently often. Right, right. They're definitely sticking with their annual exams and being able to go in for their the things that were, again, we're talked about and we know about making sure we get our mammograms, making sure we get our pop smears. So we tend to do that. But, you know, as you said, it's really important that we also add to that mix of make sure you get your bone density test, you know, if you're if you've reached that age and it's appropriate given your risk factors. So we need to make sure that more women know that as well. That's really terrific, and I appreciate your time talking about this. Is there other things you think that our uh, listeners should know about menopause and bone health or menopause and other health-related risks? I think just the knowledge that this is going to happen to you if you're fortunate enough to live, and there's nothing you can do to prevent that. It's a normal phase of life, and so we should prepare ourselves for it just like we prepare for retirement and accept that, yes, you're going to run out of estrogen. Yes, your bones are going to get thinner. Yes, you're going to gain some weight. Yes, you probably will have hot flashes. Yes, you will get vaginal dryness. There are a lot of things that happen as we age and as we have less estrogen, but we are not at the mercy of those. We need to arm ourselves with information and do the best we can to get the best quality of life that we can with preventive medicine and healthy, active lifestyles. That's so true. I think that's, and again, we talked about earlier, the improvements in technologies and, and medical practices that have allowed us to continue to the reproductive years. As you said, there are now excellent treatments, both you know, pharmacological and, and other that can address women's needs at menopause, whether that's hormone replacement therapy, which again, I think is huge. We could talk a whole session on hormone yeah. replacement therapy and what that means for women. And again, how that impacts, you know, so many areas of their health, both risk and benefit. But then there's other things, like you said, that that can be done for some of those regular symptoms that we have and women experience at menopause, whether, as you said, vaginal dryness or, you know, dealing with uh, hot flashes or thinning hair or all of those things. And we don't need to just quietly suffer any longer. And as you said, now that we're allowed to say the word a little more, uh, now is the time to make sure that women are aware of what's available to help them during this, this change of life. Absolutely. A thousand percent agreement with what you just said. So we need to just make sure that we continue to have dialogues like this with experts like you so that women know that they can find the information that they need. And again, that so many of what we experience, so many of the things we experience throughout our lives are so interconnected, right? You may wouldn't maybe think that 
going through menopause would impact your bone health or your cardiac health, et cetera, or as you said, weight gain and menopause. But, you know, the more we know, the more we educate ourselves, the more we see really how all of those good habits that we're told throughout our life from childhood <laughs> to practice, you know, right. get, get the eat healthy and get, get, move your body and, you know, do all of those things really do impact how we're able to manage every stage of our lives. And, and menopause is no different, right? That's absolutely true. And then not only to have that knowledge, but to understand that there are people who are going to start a little behind the gate because of family history or coexisting medical conditions. And so they should be the ones to get further information. We should all know the basics. And then we should develop a good relationship with our gynecologist or our primary care or both to let us know when we should start working on these things and, and how we can do it in a healthy, forward-looking way. That's absolutely true. And I, and I love that because that's also changed in our healthcare system, right? I mean, decades ago, it was, you know, your doctor told you and that was, you know, you just waited for that type of stuff. And now it's really incumbent on the patient to have that shared decision discussion, right? We should be, uh, we should need to take a little more responsibility, I think, for our health these days than maybe that was done, you know, 50 years ago. And that's going to be how we're successful at addressing whatever it is that, that impacts us. Knowing our family history, as you said, is huge. There's no way the provider can get all of that, right? You need to think about that within your own family experience and, you know, what happened to your mother and your aunts and grandmothers, et cetera, and then determine how that might impact some of the things you're experiencing is true. So we all have our work to do. <laughs> we absolutely do. Back in the day, there used to be statements that there were doctor's orders and attorney's advice or counsel. And I think that has changed. And it's not doctor's orders. It's advice and counsel. And we take your lifestyle, your family history, your concerns, what you will or won't do, um, what you can and can't accept, and then work on a plan that's formulated for you. That's great. That's a great point and wonderful way to end our conversation here. So thank you so much, Dr. Johnson, for sharing your knowledge and expertise with us today. We'll have links to NOF resources at bonetalk.org. And you can also, as I mentioned earlier in the introduction, learn more about Dr. Johnson at AskDrHeatherJohnson.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bone Talk as much as I enjoyed talking with our wonderful guest, Dr. Heather Johnson. For more information about how to keep your bones strong and healthy for life, I hope you'll visit our website, nof.org, regularly. We also love to hear amazing stories from our guests, but we want to hear from you, too. So please visit Bone Talk and share your story to tell us about your experience. And again, the more we stay connected and supportive, the stronger we'll all be. So finally, please do two things. Subscribe to Bone Talk so you never miss an episode. And please share this episode with your family and friends. Thank you again, Dr. Johnson. Wonderful to speak with you. And I look forward to continuing our discussions in the future. Thank you. I do too. Thank you for joining Bone Talk, the National Osteoporosis Foundation's podcast that shares information, strategies, and inspiration about good bone health that makes active aging possible. To learn more about bone health, to become involved and or help fuel NOF's mission with financial support, visit nof.org.